I want to talk to us today on a topic that we all deal with. Uh, have you ever had a, uh, I don't need any out loud uh, names, but have you ever had an enemy in your life? Someone that was your adversary, some, somebody that you, when they walk in the room, your skin crawls the opposite way. I mean, that kind of person, you know. When you, when you, matter of fact, some of you had adversaries, enemies, that when you heard their name, you, your whole attitude changed. Can I get an amen in the room? Because if, if, if you say that ain't me, the altars are open for liars. We've, we've all had, I don't care who we are, I don't care what title, we've had those people that just rubbed you the wrong way. Made your hair stand up and it wasn't in a good way. We call them adversaries, enemies, opponents. Today I want to, I'm going to re-preach a series of messages because the Lord laid it on my heart and I believe you're going to, from three years ago. And I entitled it The Invasion. It may be up there, but The Invasion. Man, The Invasion. You ever feel like you've been invaded? I had something stolen one time out of my pickup. I don't hardly ever lock my truck, so if you want to steal something, I ain't going to tell you what I'm on. I'm not, I ain't the part yet where I'm praying for my enemies, okay? I'm going to tell you that, okay? I know that's where we're at. I ain't there yet. Pray for me. I'll pray for you, okay? But the enemy, I, ain't, I don't know. So I had something stolen out of my truck under my carport at night on my property. Made me extremely mad. You felt like you had been violated, invaded your stuff. I wasn't, it wasn't parked at your house. I didn't ask you to get it, but you got my stuff out of my place, and it wasn't yours, and it just. I know y'all. It's going to be confession today from the pastor, because I know y'all, I can tell on your faces, are not, had never experienced this, okay? But I have. They invaded my space. You ever had those people invade your space? You know those people that get in and, well, I can't do it. I can do it to Arvell. Get up, invade you, but you back up. Invaders. I want to talk to you. You can be turning there, but I got a few things I want to say before. In, in Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 3. But the word invasion simply defined is as this, an act of invading, especially incursion of an army or, conquer, or conquest or plunder. The incoming or spread of something usually hurtful. Uh, words, phrases, mm, hurtful. Those things, come, they invade your space. The, in, the word incursion means a hostile entrance into a territory. You ever felt like you've been hostile, uh, been, uh, hostility has taken you over by somebody or something they've said or a group of people? The word I like the best in the church is click. Click. Learn a click. You know, this is what I find about that word. I'm going to preach to you here today, too. I'm going to be a pastor today. You know, the word click, you know, really, if I could define it, it would be this. That's because you ain't doing something. You don't like the click of the people who's doing something. You ever notice that's where the click is? The click is not really about money. It's really not. It's about those people doing something they think they run the church. Well, they kind of do. 
because they're running the church. They're helping do the church. But all of a sudden, they become a clique. And you get hostile about it. Amen. Glory to God. I told you I'm going to preach to you. Amen. The invasion of the enemy. <clears throat> the only way an enemy can invade is through a weak point in the defensive line. That's the only way an enemy can advance. Because if you're stronger than the enemy, he can't advance, right? Amen. Bum Phillips said it this way one time. Uh, some of you uh, younger ones uh, won't get it, but you older ones, he was a football coach for when it was caught when they were the NFL football coach, when they were Houston Oilers way, way, way back. And he was a healthy guy, to say the least. And he said this. They asked him one time in an interview, said, uh, Coach Phillips, would you rather have a skinny guy or a little guy on your team? We're adults. He said, give me a big butt any day. And they said, why is that? Can't the skinny guy outrun the little one? He said, yeah, but the skinny guy can't outpush the big one. And his thought was a running game, see? And, he, and you couldn't do that. You, a little guy can't outdo a big guy. Can't, he's not, they're not strong enough. And, and see, the problem is in the Christian world, in our world today that we live in and we call Christ followers, we're little people. You know why? Because we're not educated in the Word of God. We're not educated in who we are. We don't know really how strong we are in Christ. You by yourself, just, you're just who you are. But in Christ, oh, it changes. That's a game changer. Amen? So we got to know who we are, and we can't have weak points in our lives. If our spirit is already occupied by the Holy Spirit, it is much more difficult to be invaded by the enemy. Think about that a minute. If you're walking in the Spirit, full of the Spirit, you're engrossed in God's Word, you're, you're, you're a daily Bible reading, praying, seeking the Lord, worshiping, it is lots, lots harder for you to be invaded by Satan than if you're not doing those things. So this will help us pinpoint where a weak spot may be in your life. If you're down spiritually, do you know that's not really necessarily the pastor's fault? That's not the worship team's fault. That's not your Wednesday night teacher's club's fault. That could be, where, what are you doing to get in the Word to make you stronger? I can go to the gym for me and work out, and I might bulk up. Don't worry about it. Not going to go, but I'm just saying if I did, I could bulk up. And you say, huh, he sure is bulky. I'm getting a little jealous of him bulking up. Well, I can't go for you. You can go for you, though. I'm not, I, look, I am not jealous of bulked up people. I'm not getting up to go to the gym. I promise you. The only gym I want to know is a neighbor. Amen? Come on, y'all, wake up on me. <laughs> There's two principles, uh, before I get to my scripture, There's two principles of hermeneutics I want to talk about today. Hermeneutics is a study of God's Word, a methodology of the study of God's Word, okay? So that's this big old, um, big $15 word, hermeneutics. First, it is a study of the type of text. Is it a narrative text, a prophetic text, a poetry, a gospel, historic, or epistle? Let me give you some examples. 
uh, epistle, the, James is an epistle. Epistles are typically instructional, okay? Gospels, the four gospels. Historical could be uh, some like Psalms. They're, they're, they're poetry, but they're also some historical texts. The, the first part of Genesis, we'll talk about it, his historical type of information. So when you read the Bible, there's different types of texts that you're reading, and we refer to those as uh, hermeneutics of, of a choice. So Genesis, where we're going to go in a minute, uh, the first 11 chapters are, is known as a historical book, or, uh, also uh, an ancestral or pre primeval uh, means the earliest of human history. In other words, there's a recording of the earliest human history in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Good information there, okay? Tells us the beginning, you know, in the, in the beginning God created. Y'all ever read that part? Ooh. Boy, got a lot of material to preach on for the next 17 years here. Yeah, in the beginning, that's kind of a, kind of a start, the last uh, 12 through uh, chapters 12 through 50 are ancestral, tells about the ancestry and all of that, gives some genealogy and different things of, of that era. It has been said that history repeats itself. Technically, we know that is impossible for history to repeat itself, uh, but the past can reoccur with different players. Because once something's happened, it's never going to happen again, that particular thing at that particular moment, okay? But it can change players. Let me give you an example. You ever done something three or four times and realize, I ain't going to do that anymore? Come on, y'all. I mean, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, and, and so, see, there's the type of this. History can repeat itself. If you go out and you say, you know what, I think that... Gas can that that gas lever is uh, gauge is wrong in my truck my car, I can make it twenty seven miles to the gas station. And you take out, first time, brand new vehicle you didn't know it and and you run out of gas. Well, that, you just ran out of gas. The second time history's repeating itself. You get in and say, hmm, gas can same gas gauge same same position. I think I can make it to 27 miles to the gas station. And you run out of gas. There's several things I could say right there, but buy some gas, put some gas in your car, get you a gas can, something. You need some help, amen? But history repeats itself, right? Sometimes and most time in our lives, it's because of the stupid stuff we do. It has nothing to do, it's not, it's not demonic, it's not spiritual, it has, it's just dumb decisions. Woo, my wife was in here. She'd be jumping up and down saying, amen, glory to God. <laughs> so how do you change the outcome of an historical event that could repeat itself? How do you do it? We do something different. Whatever he's doing to get to the first result, do something different. Can I get amen? That would be like by gas. Do something different so you don't run out of gas. Okay, so that could stop a historical event, right? Do we agree? Everybody say amen. amen. Say, I am awake, Pastor. Because this really is the foundation of what I'm going to teach you in a minute. So you can stop a historical event from happening if you went and bought gas. At least had five gallons of gas in the back, in the back of the vehicle, right? You could stop that event from repeating itself. Here's a novel idea. Fill up before you get home. We may not eat at the house, but I'm not walking. I am too fat. It's too hot. And my, my fat leaks pretty quick in this kind of weather. I'm going to have gas in my vehicle. Amen? So 
we can stop historical things from happening over and over in our lives. Now, secondly, in this principles of hermeneutics, we have to study what the text is saying. So when you read the scriptures, you, you look at the scriptures, you say, well, the text is saying this. In context, this is what it's saying. Don't pull something out of that and make it something it ain't. Because you're going to be disappointed, mad at God, and quit God altogether. I've seen people do, well, God didn't do this and this because the word says, well, wait a minute, read all that together. God really didn't say all that. Amen. So let's look at our text today. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. What is the text saying? I'm talking about an invasion today. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now, <clears throat> now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Understand that it says the serpent, which is a reference to the devil, Satan. I like the next part. We can put a period, amen, and we're good from here. It says that any beast, he was more subtle, he was more cunning, he was more conniving, he was an adversary. He was those that you don't really like, an enemy. But look, this is what I love about the Word of God. He was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He's not equal to God. He can't compare to God. He was made by God. That is good news. If you're wondering, look, that ought to preach right there. You ought to be so excited. Wait a minute. My enemy has a creator. And I belong to the creator. So guess what? If I belong to the creator that created me and created him, guess what? If he's my enemy, the creator can take care of that problem you have, that enemy, that adversary, that invader. Amen? Come on. This is good stuff. And the woman said, has God indeed, or, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, then the serpent, the enemy, the devil, the adversary, the invader, said to the woman, you ain't going to die. That's Southeast Arkansas language. You ain't going to die. You know, you talk to those people in the church and they want to do this. You ought not do that. You know that it's going to get you to work more. That is the reward for you doing something in the church. You work more. You start doing something and you do more. It's biblical. The Bible says if you're faithful, a little bit to give you much more to do. Y'all tight today. I mean, tight. <laughs> Verse 5. For God knows, this is what uh, the serpent said, you shall surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. That verse right there sums up fleshly desires, pride, the pride of life, the things right there. See, watch, look at this again. Then the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was, see, it was pleasing to her. It satisfied a need in her life. That's what we're all about in today's world, isn't it? I want to be satisfied the way I want to be satisfied with what I want to be satisfied with, with how much that I want to be satisfied. I want to make that decision. So 
It was good for food. And, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. It was good to look upon. That's why I don't go to the gym. I'm afraid y'all are going to get off in some kind of temptation because I look so good if I went to the gym. I ain't going to the gym. Pleasant to the eyes. Ain't that what we, we want something that looks good. I've never known anybody that built a house and said, I hope it looks so terrible. I hope this is the ugliest house on the block. I hope we have the ugliest yard in the neighborhood. Never. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm just saying, I'm giving you some examples. We never look at it from the point of, I want everything to be terrible in my life. You want it to be pleasant. You want people to look at you and say, mm, I love your yard. I love your house. I do this all the time. See, you keep your yard clean, you know. And I say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't mowed my yard in a long time. My wife's not standing with me when I tell them that I take care of the yard. But, hey, nevertheless, you get the point. I want it to look good, right? My wife will come in, and she'll have something decorated on the front. Hey, did you see how I painted that? Didn't catch it, baby. I was, I, I was on the phone. I was on the phone. See, I stopped the enemy from coming into my life. See, y'all got to outthink the devil, Okay. Then the serpent, uh, uh, excuse me, so, so uh, let's go. It was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. That's what we want. We want to be smarter than everybody else. Don't we? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we want, we want to have one up on somebody. Somebody tell you something, you got one better. Can we ever talk to a fisherman? You call one this big, they got one this big. Amen? All right, let's move on. So there's six things I want you to get this. There's six things... You need to know about an invasion. Six things. I promise you, if you practice these principles, your life's going to get better. Without question, without question, if you practice some of these things and all of these things, your life, I'm not saying you'll be free from invaders. You're going to be free from trouble. I am not saying it because the Bible says they're coming, right? They count it all joy. I'm not there yet, Dale. I'm not there yet. Count it all joy when trials and persecution come your way. What? I'm sorry. We got to count that joy. I'm trying to figure out those people that's there yet. So we know it's coming, right? We know the invader's coming. So what do we do? We got to put some things in place to keep that from at least being so damaging to us. Amen? Number one, you must have an adversary. Some of us are walking around thinking that we have adversaries and we don't have adversaries. Some of us just do dumb things, and we blame it on an enemy or an adversary, an invader of your stuff. So we got to know that we have an adversary. There is an adversary, by the way. His name is Satan, the devil, okay, demons. Now, the devil himself is not coming to bother you. The, the, the devil himself is not showing up because de the devil is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So if you kind of do the math, it's uh, with the, the amount of people that's on, on the earth, about 7 billion, about every 370 or 80 years, he gets a chance to come by you just for a second. Do the math. Because he, he's got to go to each individual one. So, but he has a hierarchy, if you will, of demonic presence and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places that will just hound you and you think it's the devil. We ain't ran into the devil yet. Woo, you think, oh, Pastor, you don't, uh, he's been in my house. That's why he ain't been at your house. He ain't been at your house. You just think he's been at your house. 
When he shows up, you're going to know it. He could be real bad. Okay? So watch this. You must know that there's an, um, you have an adversary. The first Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober. I'm just looking around to see who, who had a little nip last night. I can see it on your face. He's looking right at me. Be sober. That ain't what that's talking about, really. Be sober. <clears throat> Talk about it in a minute. Be vigilant because your adversary. Who's the adversary? No, no, no. Who's the adversary? Not what. Who's the adversary? Your. Your adversary. What? This is so good. The devil. He tells you who it is. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is a, also known as a comparative text. In other words, it's comparing something to something else. He's really not a lion, a roaring lion. He walks around like one. Scares the snot out of you. You ever been scared before? I love to scare my wife. I, it just brings me great joy. The expressions on her face. Some of you seen some things that my precious son has put on Facebook when my wife was vacuuming. And he's got on a scary mask and he walks up behind and she turns around. Ah, you know, just that, that excites me. But now she does it to me. Scares the snot out of you. Just, ugh, you know, just kind of go numb kind of thing. Amen. It's like we're invading, but we're really not. Watch this, the roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. He's really not. See, I really wasn't an intruder in my wife when I spook her. When she's got her mind on something, I put my hand on her shoulder, and she just kind of melts. See, she's thinking I, somebody broke in on the house and going to rob her. I said, babe, if they rob us, they better bring something of value so when they leave, they say they got something. What they going to break in and get at our house? We ain't got nothing. Come on. <laughs> Sometimes, watch this, sometimes your enemy is you. Sometimes your enemy is you. Ever heard this statement or something similar to this? They're their own worst enemy. I remember when we was uh, first married, uh, we'd done dumb things. I mean, just stupid, crazy things. And you look back and say, we were dummies. Knew that wasn't going to work. Just dumb, stupid things. Spiritually speaking, I can look back on my life and say, that was dumb, stupid things. Ignorant means I don't have the ability, I don't have the knowledge to know, but stupid means you just don't, you just ain't going to get it. And I've done some stupid spiritual things. And you have too. We all have. So watch this. Recognize who your enemy is. Know that you have one. We do have one. It's the devil. But make sure, go, go stand in front of that mirror, and make sure it wasn't some of the dumb things you're doing first before you start getting off into something. Because see, if you're fighting the wrong enemy, you're not going to win. Did you hear what I said? If you're fighting the wrong enemy, you won't win. You got to know who your adversary is. It'd be kind of crazy if, if, we, if I was a professional boxer and Andrew was my opponent and we got into the ring and, and, and they rang the bell, but I got outside the ring to start boxing somebody else. You'd say, well, that's the dumbest thing ever. Uh-huh. In spiritual application, we do the same thing a lot of times. We're fighting somebody that ain't even in the same ring with us. We done stepped out and doing our own thing, and we're boxing. We just, and then it's just, oh, I'm just going under attack. I'm, hell's fury is loosed on me. And, no, it ain't. 
but it's not either. You're fighting the wrong enemy. So know, 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 your, know your adversary. Number two, you cannot keep the devil or your adversary from approaching you. You can't keep the devil from coming at you. He's coming at you according to God's word. He's coming and he's trying to take you out, okay? So he's coming, but you can't stop that. But here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You've got to know what the devil is trying to do in your life. You say, well, how do I know that? Get in God's word. When you start trying to bless people, the devil will try to take your blessing away from you. The devil will try to cut you out of stuff. The devil tried to take your money so you can't bless somebody. Come on now. You've you got you to know his devices, his trickery. What is his trickery? You know if you're married or in a relationship in this, in this room, you know that button you ain't supposed to push. You ignorant self, you'll go up and push that button anyway. Come on now, this is good stuff. You've got to know that you can't keep him from coming, but you've got to have wisdom. You've got to get in God's word to say, mm-hmm, I can't do that. I better not push that button. She is in a bad mood today. Men, don't ever criticize food you're getting cooked. You know, I've said this before now. Kind of mentioned again, she's not in here, so I can say some things when my wife isn't in here. God forbid everybody takes her place teaching. Messages will change altogether. You don't ever sit down to a delicious meal with green beans and peas and pork chop, fried pork chop, mashed potatoes and gravy, and get to eating and sip that tea. And say, the tea ain't got enough sugar in it. <laughs> you know why you don't do that? Because <clears throat> you just opened up hell's spirit in your life. You forgot everything else on the plate. And don't ever compare it to Arvell's sweet tea. I learned to quit doing that. I was so excited this last Wednesday. I said, praise God, I've been waiting three weeks for Arvell's sweet tea. Know that you can't keep the devil approaching, but you can do some things in your life that doesn't allow him to come any further. That's my whole point of this little top, this little point right here. So number one, number one, you must have an adversary. You must identify your adversary. Number two, you got to keep the devil. You can't keep the devil from approaching you, but you can determine how far he comes at you. Watch this, number three. Adversaries usually start out with a bluff or a partial truth to get you to do what they want you to do. You ever been conned into doing something for somebody? You thought it was going to be this way, and it turned out to be a nine-day ordeal. You thought they wanted $20, and it turned out to be 2000 you, you, you thought you were, you were going over there to do this, and it turned out to be doing this all together. Something totally different. You ever been there? Some of y'all ain't never helped nobody in your life, I can tell right now. You ain't never done anything for anybody. You need, you need, you need to start that. Starts out with above. John 8, 44 says this. Well, let's read verse 1 again real quick. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God?
You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. He tried to put some doubt. He tried to twist the words enough. He's trying to tell you what to do. We all want people to tell us what to do. He's trying to tell you what to do. I wouldn't put up that if I was you. You ought to kick him to the curb. You ought to kick that church to the curb. That pastor is always telling you what you ought to be doing in your spiritual life. You ought, you, you ought to leave that church. That ain't working for you. Did he say that? Did he say that? Oh, no, he didn't. Get, the, get, the, get your little hands up. We're gonna, we get out of here. We get the chicks gathered up. We're gone. We, mm. David, I wasn't talking about you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't do that to everybody, but I can do it to David. <clears throat> that was a good time. And if it had been Ralph, I'd done it to Ralph. <clears throat> here, watch this. John 8, says, now I'm talking about the adversaries usually start with a bluff or a partial truth uh, to get you to do what they want you to do. John 8, 44 says, you are the father of, uh, you are of your father, the devil, and that he desires, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father thereof. He's a liar. The enemy is a liar. Why are you even carrying a conversation on with the enemy? See, that's our number one thing. We want to carry on conversations when we uh, about things and get involved in stuff. We know we shouldn't even be involved in all. We should say, no, I'm not interested in that. Because see, what happens, you get involved in that stuff and it tears you down. And then all of a sudden, that opens you up for all kind of invasion from the enemy. Because he's out to get you. Every person in this church, the devil has a target on your back. Why? Because you're a Christ follower. Not because you go to this church. Because you're trying to do right. You're trying to raise your kids right. You're trying to be a Christ follower. And he says, I don't want you to be a Christ follower. Do you understand that there is a, a, a bounty on your head? Because just because you want to be a Christian, the devil hates you. And he'll do everything he can. I mean, he'll pull out all the stops, his little demons and his limps, to get you from being a Christ follower or at least get you to be a cold pew warmer. That means you're so cold when you come sit on the pew, you don't even warm it. Come on, that's what he wants. He don't mind you coming to church. He don't mind you occasionally lifting your hands as long as your heart's not in it. If I could sing, I would sing right now. I don't know what I'd sing, but I'd sing something. So when, you're, when the adversary comes at you and you're having these thoughts of confusion, your alarm ought to go off. Ding, 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 ding. That is not of God. Because the Bible says that confusion doesn't come from God, but the devil is the author of confusion. So if you're confused about stuff, get in the Word of God. Ask somebody, ask some questions. Ask me a question. I may not have it, but we can get the answer. But if you're confused about serving God and what you, something's wrong, church. You got a target on your back. That's when the devil say, did he say that? It, it, should, should you worship like that? Should, should you raise your hands? Do you have to sit an hour in the church? Do you have to send your kids out? Do, you, do we have to? You think about it. Yeah, you probably should. 
If you're convicted about it, you should. Amen. Preacher, you're doing such a good job. Thank you. Number four. So let's repeat. Number one, you must have an adversary. You must identify your adversary. Number two, you can't keep the devil or your adversary from approaching you. Number three, adversaries usually start with a bluff or a lie to get you to do something they want you to do. What does the devil want you to do? We're going to learn that in a minute. Number four, you can't reason with your enemy. You ever tried to reason with somebody when you're in a heated argument? Can I get some amen from husbands and wives in the building, okay? You can't reason with people when they're in, when they're in that mode, Dale. I mean, it's like you're not hearing They're not hearing it. You can speak it, but that don't mean they're getting it, okay? You can't reason with your enemy. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When you fight with the devil from a fleshly position, you will lose every time. See, he's a spirit. He's not flesh. He's spirit. But we try to fight him from the fleshly standpoint. That's the same way a lot of times we try to serve God from the flesh. That's why we have shallow spiritualness. You can do a lot of things in the flesh. You can serve and you can clean and you can teach. But our spiritualness is shallow because we're trying to serve him from the fleshly viewpoint. The Bible says that we got to worship him with everything we are, with our mind, soul, and our body, everything combined. But yet we only want to use one part. Because if we get our spirit connected to God in worship and serving Him, guess what? That means you're going to have to have a lifestyle change. You're going to want to start doing some of these things and some of these are going to go away. You say, but I really do like that. We read that a while ago. Look good. Feels good. It's pleasurable. Desirable. I like that. I want to do that. God's not trying to keep you from doing that. He's just saying, I want to be first, not third. We used to use the terminology, it won't be first, not second. No, we're at the point now where we, he don't want to be third, fourth, fifth, sixth. We're in a society, church. We live right in the middle of it. If we're not careful, we'll get sucked into this vortex with our enemy. And we'll be serving another master and not the master. You can't reason with him. Don't try to. Don't carry on conversations with the devil. I, I, it is beyond me why Eve is trying to talk to the devil. Now, she, we can say we'll give her a little, little grace of ignorance. She didn't know, okay? This is the first time sin had been approached to human flesh, and we can go through all the theological stuff there. Okay, but we know. And we'll carry on conversations with her. We'll try to justify things that we know are right or wrong, and we'll try to justify them to be right. The Bible speaks of that in the last days. We'll call good evil and evil good and we'll call right wrong and wrong right oh we're here when a, when a mother and a father of two children allow their child to go get uh, a change of anatomy from one to the other and say well God made a mistake something's wrong church when you think it's okay for, for two people of the same sex to get married something's wrong that's where we are. 
And we're having conversations, watch this, within the church today to ordain priests, homosexual priests. To you and I that, that are in a Bible-believing church, that sounds absurd. But the Methodist church is going to split in 2022 because of this. They've already split, but they're going to make it official. Isn't that crazy? Who would have ever thought? Thank God. You know, these, these things come up for debate. Liberalism in the church and how are we going to do this and how are we going to do this and what, what are we going to lean toward this? No, we're not leaning here. As long as you elect me as your pastor, I'm not leaning in that direction at all. Zero. Okay? It's unbiblical. All right? Give him praise. It's unbiblical to lean in that direction. I didn't say we didn't love people that have crazy thoughts because he loved us and I have a lot of crazy thoughts. But it's unbiblical when we call it right. When we accept them the way they are, we should. But if they stay the way they are, we have a problem in the church. We have a problem with this. Matter of fact, I, I said we have. They don't have a problem. We have a problem. Because somewhere our light's not shining. We're not being salt. Touched a note there. Number five. Your enemy is out to destroy you. You ever had a, one of those enemies like we talked about earlier you didn't really like? You didn't leave that argument, that discussion, or that time of turmoil with them and say, I hope the Lord just blesses them. Oh, oh hallelujah. Just hope he just blesses them. I hope, they, I hope they get to sale and not me. I hope they make a million dollars. Oh, Lord, I hope they get to build a bigger house. No, you say, I, ho I hope they lose their job. hope the house burns down. All that stuff, that's what's going through your mind. Right? You're thinking, the you, don't, you don't want anything good to happen to them. I'm not saying it's right. The Bible said we're supposed to pray for them. But your enemy is out to destroy you. The devil, he's out to kill you. Watch this. John 10 and 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal. If you read your Bible, you understand exactly the purpose, the plan that the devil has for your life. He wants to steal. Watch. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy. Those three things, that's his agenda. If you were wondering, you know, when, uh, uh, when, we, when you watch boxing or wrestling, they have methods. You know, and, and the coach, they'll come to say, say watch his left jab. You know, he's, he's, turning, he's turned at a 22-degree angle. You got you to get the opposite of that so you can get that right hook in. And they, they study out their opponent, right? If you play football, they had plays. And for, they tell me in the pros that they spend a lot of their time after they get conditioned studying the opponent's plays. They watch film after film to see the move. If they holler out this play, this means this. And, and, and they, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. That's why uh, the, the, the Tom Brady's and, and the, uh, what's the other two boys in uh, Manning's, uh, they were, I quit watching NFL football. But, uh, so so that, that's why they were so good. They had the ability to comprehend what was going on on the other side. They were able to read their enemy. Because what were they trying to do? They were trying to get the ball. They were trying to steal the ball, right? So how do you stop the enemy from invading you? Come on, this is good stuff. How do you stop that, church? You got to know his playbook. What's his playbook? He wants to steal. The only thing he comes to do, the thief does not come except. In other words, you can put it this way. The only reason that the devil's here is for this. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 
What does that mean? He wants to kill you. That'd be his number one thing. He wants to kill you, take you out completely. But he'd love to steal your joy. He'd love to steal your, your relationship with Christ. He'd love to steal your happiness in your family. He'd love to destroy your family. Amen. Amen. That's why ladies don't look like they did when I was in high school, when I was in junior high. They were bony, nothing to them now. They look like supermodels, and they're 12. Come on, this is real stuff. He's out to kill and steal, to destroy your life, your family, the very existence. Because, see, if he messes with your mind enough for, for you to do something crazy like that, it's a really hard road to get back. Come on, church. This is good stuff. Lee, will you come up here? Number six, the only way to defeat your adversary, the devil, is with the Word of God. Not what your grandma quoted. Come on. Now, listen to me. I'm Pentecostal, but it ain't by speaking in tongues. And I believe in that to the max. Do it all the time. Did this morning worship. Love it. I'm with it. But it's with the Word of God. That's how you defeat the adversary. Not with citing some creed. Not citing the denominational 16 fundamental beliefs. Or all of those things. That is not where it's at. It is in the Word of God. That's why it's so important for you to know the Word of God. Because I am not going to be with you when you have this problem more than likely to tell you what the Bible says. That's why you got to know it for yourself. That's why you got to get in it and dig in it. You say, I don't need that today, but you'll need it tomorrow. You've got to get in God's Word, stay in God's Word, because that is the very thing. That is Satan's kryptonite. That's what will take him down every time. If you'll believe in it, stand on it, and learn to quote the Word of God to the devil, to your adversary when he's coming at you, you will win every battle. It's what the Word of God is given to us for. It is not a good-looking piece of art that should sit on a table in the living room somewhere or collect dust on yourself. It is for your well-being. It is for your it is for your good that you learn the word of God. It is for your good because the adversary is coming to your house. He's going to show up and he's not going to knock on the door and say, I'm here. Will you let me in? We're going to say, absolutely not. The enemy is coming to your house and he's going to slip in any way he can through that weakest link if I was to take a poll this morning and you were honest what do you think the weakest link in your life is spiritually speaking I would dare to say that 9 out of 10 would say reading and studying and knowing my word it's not how well you pray come on it's not how well you worship although that is very important That'll help you through sometimes. I've been there, but that's all I could do is worship. But it's the Word of God. I guarantee you that we get every one of us, and I'm at the front of the boat, could know more about God's Word 
I'm not saying you got to go in and memorize the whole thing, quote it off and spit it off. I know a lot of those people. First person they come running to is the people who, who can't tell you anything where it's found. But they can quote it to you. See, you got to know it. You got to apply it to your life. I was watching a movie. This is what happens a lot of times. We, we get caught up in self. We want to do it our way instead of God's way through the word. I'm, I'm telling you, there, there's no other weapon to defeat the devil but the word. There is none other. Okay, so, so don't think I'm going to pick up another one. No, it's the word of God. See, Eve's problem was she didn't have the Bible. Boy, if she could have just broke out and said, no, no, it says this. This is what it says. She didn't. What's our excuse? Because we have the Word of God. Some of us couldn't find John 3.16 in the Bible if it was open to the right page. See, we get to messing with the wrong thing and we thinking it's going to all work out. I was watching a movie one time uh, called The Shadow Riders. It was a western, if you was wondering. And it was a western with Tom Selleck and Sam Elliott, Catherine Arras, Shadow Riders. And there was a, a major, uh, he was with the Comancheros, and there was a Colonel uh, Holiday Hammond, and he was a gun runner out of Mexico with guns. Right after the Civil War and and Civil War had ended, but there were still some of those rebels that wanted guns to continue the fighting after the Civil War. And this major got connected with this gun runner, Colonel Holiday Hammond out of Mexico. Wicked guy. And they made a deal for so many cattle, for so many guns. And so they're going to make the swap and they meet uh, down in Mexico on the beach there and he says, well, I don't have the gun. The, the, the major said, where's my guns? He said, well, I don't have them here. We, we, we've got a couple of days travel to get to them. Okay. So the guy goes along with him, and they get to this spot. And he says, uh, uh, I've kept my end of the deal. Where are the guns? He said, well, tomorrow I'm going to take you to get the guns. He said, I want them today. The guy says, no, tomorrow. Well, behind the major, a guy steps out with a gun and said, the major wants them now. Well, the gun runner, Colonel Hammond, had a gun under the table. Huge guy, dies right there. The major says, you're a double crosser. You've been lying to me the whole time. You know what the colonel said? Yep. You knew what kind of person I was when you started dealing with me. I tell you that story for you to get this. You know what the devil is when you start dealing with him. You know what you're dealing with. Quit dealing. You know what sin is. If you've been in this church any length of time, you know what sin is. Why are you dealing with it? Why are you flirting with it? Why are you playing with it? Come on now. Why are we even, even thinking about entertaining a thought that might lead us in that direction? The Bible says to, to abstain from the very appearance of evil. And we want to justify how we can do certain things. 
Number six, the only way to defeat your adversaries is, uh, with the devil is through the word. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, three different times Jesus used the word. He was hungry, and he says, oh, just turn these stones right here into bread. And Jesus says, no, it's not by bread alone that we live. He used the word of God. Then he said, well, why don't you just, uh, let me show you all these kids. You just jump right off here. And, you know, the angels, says the angels, they'll take care of you. He could have jumped off that thinking, oh, I'm going to be taken care of. He's going to die. Some of you jumping off the cliff with the devil thinking, you're going to be all right. Why are you even on a mountain with him? The Bible says that the Lord said, you're not supposed to tempt him. Where are we at, church? Do we even entertain the thought of knowing God's word? Is what you get on Sunday morning? Is this it? Is, is, is this it? Is this the extent of your biblical knowledge, this shotgun blast that I try to give from a 12-year-old to a 100-year-old? To a, a, a is, that the, is that it? That's not very deep theology, church. That, that, that's not going that's going to help you but that will not sustain you that's not going to keep you from the enemy's devices that's not going to get you out of your pinch all the time it's going to help but you got to get in God's word for you Matthew 24:35 says that heaven and earth shall pass away but my words will by no means pass away What's his words? Where do you find God's word? Come on, this is an open. Where do you find his word? In the Bible. It's not going to move. What it said then, it says now. It'll say 2,000 years from now, should he tarry? His word is never going to pass away. It's the truth. It's the gospel. It's the thing that sets you free. And we have so many Christians in churches that are bound up. They can't function. They can't move. They can't uh, work and operate the way God wants us to because we're bound up because we don't know God's Word. Come on, church. We need God's Word in our life. The enemy, the adversary is out to kill you. He's out to destroy you. Come and sit in the churches week after week, half asleep, don't know what's went on wondering why your life is in, in just turmoil and why hell is breaking loose at your place come on church we got to do something different we're in the last days Christ is coming back the children that I see up here that I see on Wednesdays and Sundays God help them they're going to be raised in a society that we think now is gross darkness. My God, when they get to be teenagers, those three and four years, and it's coming quickly. 
Me and Mary Ashley were talking just yesterday about those little kids when they were first born some three years ago, and now they're running everywhere. It does my heart so good for those kids to be playing with each other, and I see them running and playing tag and sliding on their slides on Sunday morning because they're building relationships, and I pray for those kids. God, help them to build a relationship that those kids will be tight together. They'll be strong together, and when one falls, the other can come along and lift them up. Raise up a new generation of children that love the Lord. They'll say, I'll have you back. God's blessed this church with children. And you as an older saint, if you're not praying for our children, shame on you. Shame on you. Our kids are our possession. God's given them to us. That's why I'm so passionate about these kids learning God's Word. It bothers me when they don't get God's Word. When we just think about it babysitting. Andrew and I, some six, seven years ago, we had a conversation. I asked you this question. I don't know if you remember. I said, Andrew, what would you do different? What do you think we need to do different in the youth? We were on a trail ride. And you said, he made a statement. He said, at that age, we're, all, we're still teaching them about how not to sin. It struck a chord in me. And I thought, that's right. Why at 16, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, are we trying to, still trying to teach them you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. What happened to get them to know Christ at an early age? And when they get there, we're making disciples. Did the church go wrong? Yes. 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 If we're not making disciple makers in the teenage class, something's wrong way before they get there. Well, you see my wife hardly ever in church, in a church service. You noticed? I'll brag on her a minute because I can. Because she does it right. She's there, there, Wednesday, because she wants those kids to know Jesus Christ. So that when she hands them off to the next group, we can start the next level of disciple making. And then when they get to the youth, we're saying, my God, we're going to send some people on some college campuses. Praise God that know Jesus. There's going to be a difference. There'll be history makers that'll get on a campus and start talking about Jesus instead of some crazy ideology that, well, you look like a boy, but you're a girl. Come on now. The enemy, that's what the enemy's doing in the church house. Divide and conquer. I don't like that, Pastor. They're just kids. But teaching your kid at home then. Don't tell them no. Don't let them run out in the street. You think that's, if, you, if you think that's important, the Word of God, those kids knowing Jesus, is way more important than that. Come on, get with me on this. Jude 1.9 says this. Talking about how to defeat your adversary with the word. It says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not bring a, uh, against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord. Quit trying to be some spirit, super spiritual person, some spiritual hero with a big S on your chest, and defeat the devil. Just use the word. It's there. It's already done. If you use the word, he's defeated. If you use the word, you're an overcomer. If you use the word, things are going to work out in your favor. If you use the word of God, it's time we use the word of God to fight our battles. Come on, this is good stuff. 
Quit trying to fight the devil on his turf with your methods. Use the word of God. Closing. If someone or something opposes what the Bible says, that is a sure sign that you're looking at your enemy. They can't be your best friend. Hello? I didn't say you couldn't have friends that were sinners. I said they can't be your best friend because you're going to turn to that best friend for that advice for spiritual matters and they don't comprehend it according to God's Word and they'll give you wrong advice and all of a sudden there's a slip. Did, I can't believe your preacher told you that. Yeah, well, you weren't here. Maybe you didn't get the context. Come on now, this is good stuff. If they're opposite of what the God about the Word of God teaches, they're against you. Do you hear me? They are against you. He's looking for the weak link. What is the weak link in your life? What is it? We can pick out weak links in a lot of things. If you have a son or a daughter, a son that plays football, you can go to the stands in, in a few weeks and watch them start playing football. And you can look down there, and if your team loses, you'll be able to say, well, if little Johnny over there, number 28, if he's a little bit bigger, if he's a little faster, that's the weak link right there. They run to him every time. They run over him every time. They scored every touchdown over top of him every time. You can pick that out in a minute. You got kids play basketball? Well, I don't know why the coach puts him in. That boy couldn't hit the side of a barn with a shotgun. But he puts him in there, and it's, we got two men. We need my son, or we need my daughter in there. They can do it. We can pick out the weak link, and we'll blame the whole game, the whole 50 minutes on one shot at the end of the game. Well, that wasn't the weak link. Maybe the coach could have done better. Maybe he had a different place. Come on. Are you any good at identifying the weak spot in your life spiritually? We don't like to do that. I don't know of a person in this room that would have jumped up if it had been your little Johnny was number 28 and has run over him and they ain't a parent in this room would have jumped up and said, well, that's my boy right there. He ain't worth a flip. Hey, get him out of there. Let me go down and talk to that coach. Ain't a parent one in here. You'd be mad at that person talking about your kid. Come on. We do the same thing spiritually. Well, I ain't growing. Preacher's not preaching good stuff. He preached that message three years ago. There's five more coming right behind it. You don't even, you didn't even know till I told you I preached it three years ago. Some of you aren't here. It's good stuff. Because the enemy's invading your territory. He's invading your family. He's invading your mind. He's invading your spirit. And he's looking for a weak link. What is the weak link in your life? Everybody has one. If we were to line up some big fellas across this room right here, and then a little bitty one. I think I showed this one time. Red Rover, Red Rover. You ever remember that? The only time you picked the big boy to come running at you is when you was trying to hang on so you could impress a girl. 
Otherwise, you wanted the scroniest little feller on the other side or the little girl so you could and flip them down. So look how strong I am. Yeah, you seven. Right? That mentality's been in our minds since we were kids playing Red Rover, Red Rover. Send little Johnny right over. It's not Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Big Buck right over. You don't want him because he's going to run over you. He's going to break the line and you got to go to the other team or set out. Come on. And yet with us not knowing the Word of God, you know what we're saying? Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Satan right on over. Send Satan right on over. I want him to tear down my family. I want him to tear down my marriage. I want him to mess up my finances. I want him to keep me beat down, beat up, and beat over and run over. Come on. Red Rover. Red Rover. Send Satan. Right over. Not a person in here has ever made that stand. But really you are. When you say, I'm not reading my word. You know what you're really saying? You've been behind the scenes saying, Satan, now look, I ain't going to really hold your hand real tight. You come to me. I'm going to fall. I'll let you through. Come on. It's time, church. It's time. We quit playing games. Recognize the enemy. And get serious about what he's trying to do in your life and in this church. He ain't trying to come in and make it all pretty and all nice. He's already got some of your spirits right now. Some of y'all, you got some, you got, you got a, you got a, you got a, a burn. You saddled right now over some things that's happened a long time ago in the church. You get, you burned up, and it's just digging at you and digging at you, and you don't know how to deal with it. Been in ministry way too long. I know. I see it. I can just about point them out. You start backing off. Come on, I'm going to get real. You start backing off and saying, I, I, I don't want to do that. There's no real excuse. You say, I don't want to do that. I can tell you what's happening. You're letting the enemy come in your life. I don't care how spiritually you are or who you think you are. I know how it works. I've been there, done that, wrote the book. Let it happen to me. I don't, I, I'm not going to do that. No, I, it's just too much. You ain't going to put that on me. There's a serious problem there. Oh, it's not with me. It's not with the church. You got a weak leap, sir, ma'am, in your life. didn't think it was going to quite turn out this way, did you? This time we get serious about who the enemy is. Let's hit him face on. Let's hit him straight up. Let's hit him where it counts. I don't want to kick him in the leg. I want to punch him right in the mouth. I want, I want to take him out. I want him to be taken out. And the only way we're going to do that is in the Word of God. Let me finish. John 4, uh, James 4, 7 says this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's a very simple idea. Therefore, you submit to God. How do you do that? Get in God's word. Pray and seek him. Worship him. You submit you to God. That's the number one thing. You don't have to do a bunch of antics and rhetorics and do all this junk first. You submit to God. He's calling on you to say, I'm going to serve you. Number one. Submit to God. 
Watch this. Number two, resist. You got to do something. You can't put yourself in the same positions with the same people doing the same old stuff and expect God to show up and take, take care of you. You cannot do it. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And what does it say? What? He'll flee from what? You. Do you get how simple that is? I'm, you, Pastor, you just don't know what I've been going through. It's been so tough. I'm not saying your situation is not tough. But have you submitted to God? And I'm not, I, listen to me. I'm not talking about because you got a problem. Because that's what happens most of the time. We got a problem, we start submitting to God. I got to hurry. I'm already over time. And 1 Peter 5 9 says, Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You ain't the only one going through stuff. Resist the devil. Resist him. What's the way you do that? In God's word. Period. Will you stand with me?